Steve mentioned earlier, we want to um, lift up our, um, our good friends in uh, New Zealand who have been uh, suffering over the last few days. And, uh, you know, there's just been an incredible, incredibly terrible uh, tragedy. And I was just thinking this morning, Lord, what, what is this scripture? And we go to Psalm 35. He says, turn away from evil. And here's how you do it. Do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. How do we defeat evil in this world? We do good in Jesus' name. Let's start. We're going to start and Mark's going to lead us in prayer. I'm wondering if we can stand together. Because I think um, it's in these times that God is calling on the church to rise up. And so, God, we just come before you, Lord, in the wake of um, this terrible tragedy. And, Lord, we just... Um, Lord, we know this doesn't come from you. But, God, we know that you're looking for a response from us um, in these times. And, God, our hearts are broken just like yours was for the loss of these 49 people. And God, as a church, we want to pray for their families. Yeah. God, we want to pray for those friends that are around, Lord, that, are, that have been crushed um, by this senseless act of violence. And God, we also, too, want to pray for the... Um, we want to pray for the church, God, in, in Christ church. Lord, for the ministry that has been thrust upon them. Lord, to, to rise up. God, and comfort those um, who have been hurt. God, we pray for that church to be a light on the hill in such a dark place in that city. God, help us to continue. God, continue to speak to us to know what the best response is, God. Lord, we are not called. You never preached hate. God, you always preached love. Yep. And so, God, Help us to love our brothers yeah. and those around us, God. Thank you. Lord, in these days to come, as people look to the church for a response, God, we just seek your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. All right, we are in week two of a two-part mini-series called The Blessed Life. And as I mentioned to you two weeks ago, um, I'm taking a lot of my points directly from um, this book that I read called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And it's been a book that I've really appreciated the teaching on uh, how we as Christians and followers of God actually are to respond with our, our finances and, and, and money in particular. And so uh, we've got some of these for sale, by the way, at the information desk. And I want to encourage you all to actually get it. If we run out today, we'll take um, your order and we'll, we'll bring some in this week. But I have found this to really... It's been a book that's helped me and it's challenged me a lot with uh, how I consider my finances. Because often what happens is, you know, we give so much to God. We put everything first, except for this thing here. For some reason, that becomes our own 
private business and we won't talk about it with anybody and we don't talk about it to God. And I wonder why that is. And so I want to encourage you, grab this book and have a read because I'm only taking two small sections out of it to bring to you. All right. In week one, which was actually two weeks ago, we had a look at Matthew 6.24, which says this, and I, and I took it from the New King James Version because of a particular word in there. It says, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. And when we're wondering what masters is Jesus talking about, he says he cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, mammon is an, an old-fashioned word. It, it's in the Greek and uh, in the newer translations, it's translated into love of money, but when I looked a bit deeper, really what came out was it was more of this inward desire for wealth or riches. It's, it's something, it's a state of the heart. It's more about the desire because we know that money by itself is not evil. Jesus himself says that. But there is a problem when we start to love and desire riches because it takes place, the place of God in our life. According to Jesus, if your heart is set to desire riches instead of desiring God, if wealth is what you dream about, you know what I mean? It's the thing that you sit at home and you think about what it would be like to be wealthy and then you just can't get it out, out of your head. If that's where your focus is. God is not your Lord. Money is. Mammon. In fact, Jesus says, if your loyalty is to wealth, it means you despise God. And you can, you're probably sitting there thinking, you can't say that, Pastor, and that's okay because I didn't. <laughs> Jesus said it. It's behind me on the screen if you don't believe it. In that passage, and if that sermon two weeks ago was challenging to you, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, go and watch it. Or if you're still battling that, go and watch it again. Or, or grab this book and take it to God, because we need to break the power of mammon. The spirit of mammon that's so prevalent in our culture. And that is the starting point of the blessed life that Robert Morris is talking about. In fact, go back to Matthew 6 and read everything from about uh, verse 19 onwards. They're all Jesus' words to the end of the chapter. And you see what it's like to live, like to live a life of contentment with God on the throne of your life instead of um, a desire for stuff and a desire for wealth. I challenge you to do it. It's in our Bible. He is our Lord. We follow him. That's a priority for us. As Christians, we're hungry for more of God's kingdom to come. We're not hungry for our earthly kingdom to come. All right. So here we go with today. Today's message is called First Things First. Let me just quickly mention something before we open the scripture because a big part of today's message is going to be about tithing. Now, I've actually got an apology to make because about 12 months I did a one-off sermon on generosity and I still think it was a pretty good sermon and you can go back and watch it and I'll have no problem with that and I, and I stand behind that sermon but there's one thing I, I just touched on briefly at the end of it and I've probably changed my view just a little bit on this. I told you in that sermon, that there are two core principles of giving and generosity, and one, obviously, is to be generous in how we give, and the other one is to do it joyfully. 
that's a life-changing truth that I've discovered more and more in my life, and I will continue to preach that over and over again. However, I did mention at the end that I couldn't find anything in the New Testament that endorsed you know, this 10% tithe, Old Testament principle of a 10% tithe. And I told you that I recommended, I did actually recommend tithing as a good biblical principle, and that I followed that myself. But to tell you that Jesus never mentioned tithing was actually wrong. So I apologize for that. Because there's three important words that Jesus says that I missed, and it's in Matthew 23, and here they are. You should tithe. That was a big mistake, right? You should tithe. You can check it out for yourself. It's in Matthew 23. Yes, it's in the middle of an important point he's making to religious leaders about how great they are at tithing, but they're terrible at justice and mercy, so your tithe actually is worth nothing. It's a very important point. But he says, you should tithe. And, you know, we will preach week in, week out on the command to love God and to love others as the essence of the whole Bible. It's the essence of our faith. But let there be no doubt, because I may have sown some doubt about this last year, that Jesus endorses tithing. And you know what I mean by that? A tithe literally means a tenth. That's what the word means. It's 10% of everything you received returned to God. According to Jesus, you should tithe. You know, it's actually hard to be a pastor and stand here and tell you what you should do with your money. But if we're followers of Jesus, it's God's money. I want to give you three important things today that you should know about tithing. Beyond that first one, the first one's the big one. Jesus says you should do it. So here we go. Your tithe comes from your first fruits. The idea of tithing goes all the way back to Genesis. The first time it's mentioned is when Abraham and Jacob give a tithe. But, you know, even before then, we see this act of bringing back to God from Cain and Abel. And that story actually has some important lessons for us about this idea of first fruits. So we're going to have a look at that. It's in Genesis 4. Cain and Abel, of course, were the sons of Adam and Eve. So we're going way back, right to the beginning here. Genesis 4, verse 2. When they... That's Cain and Abel grew up. Abel became a shepherd. Well, Cain cultivated the ground. So one farmed crops, the other one farmed uh, animals. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And you know, for a long time, I didn't really understand parts of this passage because both brothers brought a gift. Why was one not accepted, but one was. I think the reason is in the detail. You just take a look at these words. It says, Cain brought some of his crops. In other words, he brought what he could spare, what was left over. 
Abel, on the other hand, brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs, and he gave to God from the first fruits. In other words, he put God first. And then God goes on to warn Cain, you know, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to be your master. So there's a link here. You know, the desire for riches or the love of money has taken the place of God in Cain's heart. Can you see that link? God wasn't first for Cain. He got what was left over. You know, it's like, hey, if he was here today with us, Cain put money in the offering bag. That seems good, doesn't it? And yet God didn't accept it. Because what matters to God is what's going on right here in the heart. It's just like the religious leaders. Even though they were putting the full tithe in, there was something not going on right here in the heart. But what we do give can reveal something. It can reveal something. Matthew 6.21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you just connect that verse to, uh, to what Cain did, you can see what Jesus means. So fast forward now to Exodus and to the time of the descendants of Jacob. And you know the story, over 400 years of brutal slavery under the Egyptians. And on the very day that God delivers the Israelites from their slavery, it's like their day of salvation. God tells them to celebrate with the feast called the Passover. We've talked about that before and what that means. And then as part of this um, description to them or command to them to celebrate their deliverance, he says this in Exodus 13 too, Dedicate to me every firstborn amongst the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Now, what that happens, or what happens and how that looks like, I'm not going to get into today because there was a process that happened, sometimes with a, a, a buyback scheme even. But Jesus, or God says here, belongs to me. Very emphatic words. There seems to be this pattern that God's instilling in his people of sacrifice of giving to God from our first fruits. It's a clear sign or, or even a way of life of putting God first. And anyway, that tithe from our first fruits isn't ours anyway if Jesus is Lord. If God is first in our life and he should be, that tithe belongs to him. You know, we don't even really give it to God. It's a return. We bring it. The second thing is this about tithing. The tithe is given first. We don't hold on to the, number, to the first or to one while we wait to see if the nine goes the distance. We give the first immediately. And we trust that the rest is blessed. This is a separate point to my first one if you're a bit confused. The first one is where we're taking our tithe from. The second one is when we do it. We give first. We give first immediately that portion, that 10%, and we trust God to bless that other 90% to go the distance, to bless it. It's not only my belief, but my experience that if I return to God, his portion first, even before my bills and expenses, I know that sounds radical, God will help me cover my bills and expenses. Paying your tithes before your bills takes faith. But we know God blesses faith. You know, the gift of Jesus really is a great example. Talk about first fruits given for God's glory. God gave Jesus first while we were still sinners. He did that 
in trust that we would respond and believe. God didn't wait for us to say, if I give my son, will you follow? He gave first, trusting that we would follow. In a similar way, we bring our tithe to God, trusting that he will respond and bless the remainder of our income to cover our needs. Proverbs says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. We've got to honour God with the best of what we produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And I don't think this is a promise for, for riches, by the way. This is not a, a promise for some um, you know, prosperity gospel type moment here. This is a promise for a provision for the person who tithes from their first fruits. Exodus 23 says, As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. And the principle of tithing your first fruits seems to point to bringing it to the church. Now, Robert Morris, in his book, he's quite emphatic on this point that the tithe is for the church and everything you give to other organizations and people is over and above that tithe. He makes a very clear distinction between tithing and giving. Giving is everything that you give above your tithe. That 10% tithe comes to the church, but we don't necessarily call it giving. It's bringing. Anything you give above what is called giving and goes to wherever and wherever God leads you to give it. If you're struggling with that a little bit, that's okay. You're welcome to pray over that one. Hey, I'm never going to know. The principle here is that the tithe isn't ours. If Jesus is our Lord, it's his. I'm not getting that many amens today, and that's okay. <laughs> we don't give it, we bring it. Now, if I may, can I talk about tithing to the church a little more? Because I, I just want to share a little bit of my own testimony, and I really wasn't sure whether I should do this. But you know what? I'm vulnerable with you with a lot of parts of my life. And again, why is it when we come to this, it's like, no, it's too personal. You can't know. I'm not going to tell you. So I share this to let you know, and I want you to know that you can trust God, and the tithing can bring him glory. Because quite a few years back, Shelley and I took a step of faith, not only did I leave my old job to follow God's calling into the church, and God's been, he has blessed us through that whole process, and I thank God that he... Yeah, he's, he's cared for us. And it was a step of faith for us. But I, I felt challenged by God to tithe. See, I thought I was tithing. $50 in the bucket as it goes around each week felt like a lot of money, because it is. And quite frankly, I didn't like sermons on tithing, because it wasn't their business. <laughs> and here I am. As far as I was concerned, what I did with my money was up to me. But I was challenged one day by another pastor. Not that he knew if I was tithing or not, but he'd been around long enough to know that most people probably struggle in this area. I really didn't think it was his business, but he started to share with me, and he said, well, what's the big deal? Why can't you tell me? And he asked a bunch of, uh, yeah, why can't you tell me? 
You know, why can't people know? Why can't he know? You know, when the church hires you, they ask you a lot of questions. How's your walk with the Lord going? How's things going in your marriage? Questions about ethics. What are you putting first in your life? There's never a question about whether you tithe. You know, it made sense that they would ask all of those things. And I was honest in answering them. For whatever reason, I never got asked that question. And I suspect it's because, hmm, if you were here today and you were part of that meeting, I love you. (laughs) I suspect we all struggle in the same area. And why is that? Why is it that the church can tell us about everything, but when it comes to our money and what we give, we go quiet? We seem to think or be willing to talk about putting God first in our marriage and our family and our job and our commitment to the church and our friendships and our time, and we preach on that all the time, and you'll say amen to me, but don't ask me and don't tell me what to do with this. And that's the way I felt. I couldn't see how God could give, or how, how we could give even 10% of our earnings to God. And that point, you know, we had, we got a, you got a mortgage, you've got other repayments, there's school fees, there's bills that never seem to end. You're going to amen that one, right? <laughs> I think I lost you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> All right, here we go. We took a step of faith. I took a deep breath. I logged into my account. We worked out what 10% was, and we set it to come out automatically the day after I got paid, with no end date. The tithe would be the first thing that went out each fortnight. We're talking about seven years ago now. You know, at that time, both of us were driving quite old cars that needed updating, and that, meant that amount that went out would easily be a car repayment. I'm not asking you to give me any praise for this. I'm just telling you my story. Because the spirit of mammon is powerful, and the temptation to put that money towards something else is strong. But we went forward in faith, and we trusted God. As I said, it's been seven years since we made that step. Occasionally, we've had to adjust that amount as income has changed. But that tithe, it still comes out first, and it doesn't bother us. There's been moments of low funds when we've scraped along the bottom of the barrel. Like, you know what it's like. I think you can all, you know what it's like, where you hit the bottom, and you kind of bounce off a little bit. (laughs) But we never wavered, and we got through. We met every financial challenge that we were faced, and we're still blessed with really more than we need. And we now see that tithe is our first and most important payment, although I don't see it as an expense, because expenses annoy me, and I don't like them. We see them as returning to God what is his. It's not ours. And the rest of our income, we believe it's blessed by God to cover our needs. Here's point three. Tithing is part of God's plan to resource his kingdom expansion through his church. Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouses so that there will be enough food in my temple. 
You may see that, say that's a specific promise to the Israelites from Malachi. I say the principle of storehouse tithing is still for God's kingdom today and it resources the mission of God's church in a very powerful way. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> if you keep reading, there's a great promise, by the way, in that scripture, in there for blessing, but I don't even want to focus on that today. If you want to read about how God blesses, you can go and buy that book. But there is actually a, a blessing that happens in the heart. When we do this, I want to focus though on storehouse tithing that provides enough for the church to fulfill God's purpose for the church and the kingdom, for the mission of the church. So research shows that the average tithe in America is about 3%. I think it's probably be close here in Australia. So let me just share this with you. And I don't want to share this to make you feel guilty or to shame anyone into anything or to make you uncomfortable, unless the Holy Spirit decides to do that. I share it with you to, uh, to show you the truth, that that verse there is about enough provision for the church to do what God's asked it to do. By my very conservative back-of-the-envelope calculations, is if we were all to trust God with, with, our, with a tithe and bring it to the church, did you know our offerings here would triple? And if that was the case, we wouldn't need to have a special pledge offering that we're going to do soon, by the way, for the first stage of our building project. In fact, we could fund the first three stages and we wouldn't even have to blink. On top of that, we could substantially increase giving to our missionaries and chaplains. We could triple it and we wouldn't have to blink. In fact, we could maybe even fully fund some missionaries so they don't have to spend their time going around raising funds all the time. Wouldn't that be great? We could easily resource all our ministries. We could run a full-time neighborhood family support program. We could build more counseling rooms. We could fund church plants and the training of future pastors and leaders. We could help interns and other community projects. We could do more to meet the needs in our neighborhood than we do now. See, tithing isn't just about submitting our first fruits to our saviour. He has a great plan to resource his church in order to see it expand the kingdom in the way that God planned it. So I want to leave you with the challenge. And it's this, don't tithe because I preached a sermon to you. Don't tithe because you, you read Robert Morris's book. Don't tithe because you hope God will bless you, although I know he will in some way. Tithe because Jesus is your Lord. And he deserves our first fruits in the same way, not even close really, but in the similar way that he gave everything for us. Tithe because you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your wallet. <laughs> Maybe we could... No, you can't change the Bible. <laughs> Nathan's translation. Tithe because you love his church and you believe in the mission to reach the world with the good news. Isn't that a good reason? I encourage you in faith, try it. Even if it's just for 12 months, commit to it. You know, if that's too much, do it for six. If that's too much, do it for three. Because if what God says is true, he will show you that he will care for you and he'll bless that other 90%. Don't give out a guilt or compulsion from Pastor Nathan's sermon on March the 17th, 2019. Give joyfully out of love for what God has given you 
and with great expectation that your tithe will bless the mission of the church. So I've, I've preached just two sermons on the blessed life. Really, it's only like three chapters from this book. There's so much more. There's way much more that you need to know about tithing and giving and God's blessing. There's heaps more. There's testimony after testimony in this book about people who stepped out in faith and gave away things like cars to those in need and whatnot, and God provided. Because as I said two weeks ago, God, you, you don't give to get. You give to give. God actually does give when you give so that you can give. It's all about the giving. It's all about the giving. It's all about the giving. I want you to understand the power of giving and the blessed life. One last thing before we conclude, but the most important. You know, I was reflecting during my reading about in these passages in Genesis and Exodus on the Passover celebration and the first fruits, and it wasn't lost on me how significant the power of sacrificial giving is to the giver. You know, there would have been a time 20 or 30 years after they had left Egypt, even longer. You know, they, they, they wandered for 40 years, so let's go longer than that even. And there'd be new generations. And they would see their parents take the first fruits, the crops into the storehouse and the, you know, the lambs that would be sacrificed. And they must be thinking, what are you doing? You know, Dad, we need to have a talk about this because we're trying to take care of our family and stuff like that, and you keep taking the first and the best and giving it to God. And I think what he would do is that father would take his son and he'd sit him down and he would say, you know what, son? We were once slaves. We had no freedom. We suffered. We starved. Many of us died. We had no hope. But our great and awesome God heard our cry. And he moved with immense compassion and power and freed us. So when we take our firstborn and our first fruits to God, we do it gladly. And we will never forget that he saved us. And I feel the same way. I bring that title to God, the God who saved me, the God who gave his life for me. And I'll gladly sacrifice for God. That's salvation, by the way, is for everyone. And today, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. There's just three things you need to do. To make it easy, I'll call it A, B, and C. Admit is A, the things that you've done wrong against God. B is believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God who died for your sin and he rose to give you life. You believe that he is God and C is commit. Commit your life to him. That means you say, my life is now yours, God, and I'll follow you where you want me to go and I'll be the person you want to meet me to be. It seems funny that I would bring that invitation at the end of a, a sermon on tithing. 
But today we reflect on Jesus and the sacrifice that he brought for us. And we should respond. If God's speaking to you today, we should respond. Would you close your eyes with me? First up, church, I want to pray for those of you who are questioning tithing or maybe you felt challenged by it or you're still unsure. That's okay. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I believe this was your word. I believe, God, um, that you've called for us to bring everything to you, to surrender all. I want to pray, Lord, that you break the power of mammon in our life, that desire that we often have for stuff, for things, and it takes the place of you. And Lord, we know your scriptures say money is not evil, wealth is not evil, but when it takes place, your place, you had very strong words. You said we can't serve two masters, so Lord, we need to be done with that, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you break that power in our hearts today. And church, if that's you, just... Pray that prayer to God right now that you can be free of the lure of the desire for riches. Be free of it. Pray that prayer. Be free of it today. Secondly, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never prayed a prayer of commitment, if you've never said, I am all in, Jesus, you are my God, Forgive me of my sin, then I invite you to just pray this short prayer after me. Just echo it in your hearts. Lord Jesus, I admit my need for you. I admit what I have done wrong against you and others. I believe that you are who you say you are. You are the Son of God. And you died for me. And you rose again to give me life. This morning I commit my life to you. Everything is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.